Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Thanks to our mysterious patrons, we passed another Patreon support goal. Thank you, patrons. As a reward, we're doing something we've never done on this podcast— Listen to comedy. But not just any comedy. We're listening to a collection of three sketches that specifically parody mysterious old-time radio shows and their tropes. Our first sketch comes from an episode of The Martin and Lewis Show featuring special guest star Peter Lorre. In 1948, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis were known primarily for their popular nightclub act. Martin was the suave crooner and Lewis the slapstick man-child. Together, they created the perfect marriage of cool and fool. Their acclaim on the club circuit attracted the attention of CBS, who offered them a lucrative five-year radio contract, as well as a role in the film adaptation of another CBS radio series, My Friend Irma. The Martin and Lewis show debuted in 1949 to tepid reviews, but the success of the duo's appearance in My Friend Irma, as well as a new writing team for the radio series, including a young Norman Lear, led to an improvement in the show's ratings and a sponsorship from Chesterfield Cigarettes. Ultimately, though, Martin and Lewis comedy relied too heavily on visuals for long-term radio success, and the Martin and Lewis show came to an end in 1953. The loss of the radio series did little to hurt their careers. The following year, Martin and Lewis appeared in the highest-grossing film of their partnership, the appropriately titled Living It Up. Bonus Peter Lorre trivia. Fifteen years after his guest appearance on the Martin and Lewis show, Peter Lorre teamed with Jerry Lewis again for what would sadly be Lorre's final film, the 1964 comedy The Patsy. Bonus Joshua trivia. The Patsy also features cameo appearances by Mel Torme and Ed Wynn, officially making it my all-time favorite Jerry Lewis film. Our next featured sketch is George and the Dragonette from voice actor and satirist Stan Freeberg, recommended to us by our mysterious listener Mike. Thanks, Mike. Freeberg began his career in 1944 as a voice artist for Warner Brothers Animation Studios. Most of his roles were uncredited, and it wasn't until his first recording for Capitol Records, the soap opera spoof John and Marsha, that the world at large began to recognize his talent as a humorist. His best-selling records led to several short-lived radio series, including The Stan Freeberg Show, a 1957 replacement series for the Jack Benny program. Freeberg famously refused sponsorship from several tobacco companies, electing to replace them with his own parody commercials. Freeberg even satirized the network's interference in his show with a sketch called Elderly Man River, in which a censor repeatedly interrupts Freeberg's rendition of Old Man River in order to make it more acceptable to all old people and children listening at home. The series ended after only 15 episodes. Freeberg also found himself in trouble at Capitol Records. The company refused to release Freeberg's acerbic spoofs of Arthur Godfrey and Ed Sullivan for fear of legal reprisals. These recurring run-ins with Capitol's legal department led Freeberg to quip, My records are not released, they escape. Fortunately, George the Dragonette, the first of Freeberg's many riffs on Dragnet, did not run into legal troubles. In fact, the record sold over a million copies, reached the number one spot on the Billboard record chart, and, by all accounts, actually made Jack Webb laugh. Along with Freeberg, the record spotlights the talents of Dawes Butler, the voice of Yogi Bear, Huckleberry Hound, and Snagglepuss, and June Foray, the voice of Rocky the Flying Squirrel, Natasha, and Cindy Lou Who. Last but not least, we present a parody of The Whistler, entitled The Fiddler, from the Jack Benny program. A former stage and vaudeville comedian, Jack Benny headlined his first radio show in 1932, sponsored by Canada Dry Ginger Ale. Today, Jack Benny is considered one of the giants of American comedy. As John Dunning notes in his Encyclopedia of Old Time Radio, who else could play for four decades the part of a vain, miserly, argumentative skinflint and emerge a national treasure? Benny was always quick to credit his success to the genius of his cast, including several regulars you will hear in today's sketch, the dumb but sweet Dennis Day, Benny's sarcastic girl Friday, Mary Livingstone, who also happened to be Benny's real-life wife, and of course, the arrogant, hip-talking band leader, Phil Harris. 
And now, let's listen to The Sunshine Boys from the Martin and Lewis Show, originally broadcast May 8, 1949, George and the Dragonette from Stan Freeberg, first released September 21, 1953, and The Fiddler from the Jack Benny Program, originally broadcast February 20, 1950. It's been a long day, and you could use a good laugh. You're with friends, and everyone is gathered around an antique radio. Listen to the jokes coming from the speaker. Listen to the ad-libs. And listen to the laughter. Well, this is it, Jerry, the Warwick Hotel. Yeah, wouldn't it be swell if we could talk Peter Laurie into helping us out? Then we'd have our sponsor. I only hope we can get in to see Peter Laurie. He probably even never heard of us. Maybe not, Dean, but wait until he finds out that I'm a big fan of his. Gee, one time I took my girl to see Peter Laurie in a picture. He was so sinister and so menacing. When I came out, I had the creeps. Well, it must have been even worse on your girl. Nah, she was a creep to start with. <laughs> well, let's go in and see Mr. Laurie. Well, here's Peter Laurie's apartment. Ring the bell, Jerry. Jerry, what's the matter? Who's afraid? Oh, I'll do it. There. Dean. <laughs> what? Let's go home. <laughs> Gee, Mr. Laurie'd never help a couple of nobodies like us. Oh, come on, brace up. Yes, what is it? I'm Dean Martin, and this is Jerry Lewis, and uh, we just got to go in and see Mr. Laurie. I'm sorry, I'm Mr. Laurie's personal secretary, and nobody can see him. Let me, let me handle this, Dean. I gotta be stern with her. Okay, good, be stern. All right now, miss, you listen to me. Yes? <laughs> uh... Um... What is it? Um... Uh... Yes? Will you marry me? Do you really want to see Mr. Laurie enough that you'd propose? <laughs> Don't laugh. If we can be engaged, I'll give you my secret corn kicks ring with the plastic glass covered compass and the secret message sender and decoder and the patented peeperscope with the atomic disintegrator attachment. <laughs> give it to me? Sure, come on. Help me lift it out of the box. <laughs> All right, Jay. That's enough. Look, miss, we gotta talk to Mr. Loy about helping us out on our radio show. Oh, Mr. Martin, I love your singing. I admire your act so much. I'm the star of the act, miss. And your wonderful reviews, Mr. Martin. I'm his assistant. I'm Lewis. I'm on records, too. And the way the crowds come to see you at the Copacabana, Mr. Martin. I'm there, too. Yep. Good old Jerry, I do a few tired funnies in between Dean's songs. And you're so appealing to women, Mr. Martin. Oh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> oh, I think you're kind of cute, too, Sonny. Miss, are you sure that Mr. Laurie can't see us today? Well, you're taking a horrible chance. Mr. Laurie hates to be disturbed at tea time, and especially when he's so hungry. Well, thanks, but we'll take a chance. Mr. Laurie? Well, well, well. Mmm. <laughs> Two nice young ones. Come in. Well, uh, I hope we didn't disturb your cup of tea, Mr. Lorry. Uh, what are you drinking there? Green tea or orange pico? Oh, oh, no, neither. I have a weak stomach. It's arsenic. You drink arsenic? Yes. Uh, always when I can't get Drano, you know, Drano. Oh, now it comes, it comes you know, six delicious flavors. Sure. Strawberry, raspberry, orange, lemon, and bathtub. Now, uh, what was it you want to see me about? Well, I'll come right to the point, Mr. Lawyer. I'm Dean Martin. This is my partner, Jerry Lewis. Uh, yeah. We'd like to have you come on our radio show and, uh, you know, do a mystery. Huh? You want me to come on your radio program and do a mystery? That's right. Isn't it mysterious enough already? <laughs> Please, Mr. Lawyer, we've got a great chance if you'll help us out. It means an awful lot to us. We can get a sponsor if you'll only say yes. Well, you see, I wouldn't mind helping you out, but uh, what would I do on your show? Oh, you know, play sinister characters like you do in your pictures when you're acting. Hmm? Acting? 
Oh, that's silly. What makes you think I'm acting? No, no, I, I'm like that all the time. You're like the Peter Laura you play on the screen? It's not just acting? It started all when I was a little boy. My mother, she used to make me wear Lord Fauntleroy suits and long golden hair curls. Oh, I was so cute, you know. Yes, I, I can still hear the people when they say, when I walk down the street on a Sunday morning, look, there goes that little rat who burned down the city hall. Dean, I'm not happy. Let's go. No, no. No, you must stay. You, you must hear me out, you see. Well, my, my work in pictures has only aggravated my tendencies. You see, everyone has criminal traits. Everyone? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, just think, as a boy, didn't, didn't you have some bad habits? Not me. None at all? No. Nope. Oh, but now that I think of it... Yes? I did have one. Yes, you see, you see. What was it? Uh, did you go around scaring your little baby brother? Oh, no, worse than that. Yeah? What did you do? I used to sneak pussy willows into my room and pull their tails off. Now, come on, please, let's be serious, boys. You came here seeking my help now, didn't you? Now, let's see, what, what can we get for you? Uh, oh, yes, well, it should be something nice and gruesome, shouldn't it? Uh, oh, I have it, my diary, huh? It tells of an incident which happened here in New York City several years ago. And, and you, Jerry, you, you remind me strangely of, of he who was my assistant. Long last, I found the perfect criminal accomplice. For years, I've been looking for someone to hypnotize into committing my murders for me. Yes, he had to be somebody with no principles, no character, and a weak mind. <laughs> I trained him for weeks. Finally, finally, my stooge was ready for his new career. I put him under my spell. Come now, look into my eyes. There. You are now completely at the mercy of my will, aren't you? Yes, master. You are going out now to rob a bank. I will, master. And if necessary, you are going to kill. I'll do that, master. And even if you see some pretty girls, you won't mix with them. I won't mix, master. Now, now, what should I do, master? I want you now to take some TNT and go to the Chase National Bank and blow it up. He left me. I waited for an hour anxiously. This was his first job. Where is he? He should have been back long ago. Hello? Hello, master. Louis. Why, why aren't you here with the money? Did you blow up the bank like I said? Master, I made a terrible mistake. I accidentally dropped some taboo into the TNT. What happened? Now Chase National is going steady with Irving Trust. <laughs> and so it went, failure after failure, but I didn't give up. I, I needed Louis for this special job. And Louis, tonight is the payoff. Tonight at nine, I have a date with Mrs. Von Schuler, the owner of the million-dollar Ming necklace. Let's get started. What a surprise this is going to be for Mrs. Von Schuler. Well, Louis, here we are. Here we are, the Von Schuler estate. Come on, we'll go in through the front door. I'll open it. All right, you're covered. Get your hands up, both of you. Higher, higher, higher. Please, my feet are off the floor now. <laughs> you, 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 Louis, you caused this, you clumsy, stupid, blundering idiot. I, I taught you everything I knew because I liked you. I fed you because I liked you. I made you what you are today because I liked you. But now, now, I, I hate you. All right, if that's the way you feel, take back your fraternity pin. <laughs>
That was wonderful, Mr. Lawyer. We'll all do a mystery show together. Jerry, now we've got a sponsor. Oh, oh uh, wait, wait, just a minute, boys. There's a little detail, you see. I, I personally, I'm tired of all that horror stuff. I, you see, from now on, I, I want to be gay. I, uh, like a disc jockey. A disc jockey? Yeah. But if we're going to get a sponsor, we got to have one of those gruesome programs. Oh, wait. Believe me, Jerry. Believe me. You know, Peter Laura is a disc jockey. It'll be pretty gruesome. <laughs> well, uh, the least we can do is try it. I'll tell you. You two cook up something while I knock off a number. Mr. Stabile, a little background, please. Come on, while you were singing, Mr. Laurie and I got a terrific idea for a disc jockey program. The Sunshine Boys. This is the way our theme will go. <laughs> you gotta, gotta keep smiling, 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 smart. What did you drop out for? I forgot the words. <laughs> yes, folks, we're on the air. The Sunshine Boys, Dean, Jerry, and Pete. And now a short message from the makers of Sploop. <laughs> Folks, have you tried Sploop? Sploop, the breakfast food that makes you wish it was lunchtime. Ah, <laughs> uh, and remember, folks, Sploop doesn't crackle, burst, pop, or explode. It makes no noise at all. But when you pour the cream over it, watch it. It bites. <laughs> yes, and Sploop contains the new miracle vitamin, Flavor. <laughs> It won't cure anything, it won't fix anything, and it won't make you feel any better. In fact, it even saps your energy, gives you that run-down feeling. <laughs> so next time, ask for Sploop, the breakfast food for people who don't want to be champion. <laughs> and now for our daily problem corner with Dr. Peter Laurie. Uh, 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 what is our problem today, Dean? Well, here's a letter picked at random. Dear Dr... I am a woman weighing 195 pounds. Mm -hmm. I, bought a, I bought a new girdle last week, and I get into it all right, but I have a terrible time taking it off. What should I do? Oh, well, that's easy. Just tell her to snap out of it. <laughs> a poem entitled, Mary, Mary, Quite Contrary, How Does Your Garden Grow? Vigoro, 
Next poem. <laughs> a little robin redbreast sat on my windowsill. He was a beam of sunlight as he sang his little trill. He sang so sweet and looked so gay, no one could ever hate him. He was nature's work of art. Gee, I'm sorry that I ate him. <laughs> well, folks, the next portion of the program is brought to you by the makers of Sludge Glow, the new shampoo for bald-headed men. It contains that new secret ingredient, hair. <laughs> get the large 150-gallon jar of Sludge Glow. When you get through with it, you simply fasten wheels on it and presto, it's a new Studebaker. Well, we have a request to sing that new hillbilly tune, Drop Dade, Little Darling, Drop Dade. Hit it, Dean. Drop Dade, Little Darling, Drop Dade. I need you like a hole in the head. Get lost and get you gone. I'm no longer your Don Juan. Drop dead, little darling, drop dead. Drop dead, little darling, drop dead. I need you like a hole in the head. You're like an awful dream. And if you come back, I'll scream. Drop dead, little darling, drop dead. Drop dead, little darling, drop dead. I need you like a hole in a head. I'll take your pure white neck and I'll break it too by heck. Drop dead, little darling, drop dead. Thank you, Peter Laurie. You were wonderful. And uh, I hope we'll have the pleasure of working with you again soon. The legend you are about to hear is true. Only the needle should be changed to protect the record. This is the countryside. My name is St. George. I'm a knight. Saturday, July 10th, 8.05 p.m. I was working out of the castle on the night watch when a call came in from the chief. A dragon had been devouring maidens. Homicide. My job. Slay him. You call me, chief? Yeah, it's the dragon again. Devouring maidens. The king's daughter may be next. Mm -hmm. You got a lead? Uh, nothing much to go on. Said you take that 45 automatic into the lab to have him check on it? Yeah. You were right. I was right? Yeah. It was a gun. 8.22 p.m. I talked to one of the maidens who had almost been devoured. Could I talk to you, ma'am? Who are you? I'm St. George, ma'am. Homicide, ma'am. I want to ask you a few questions, ma'am. I understand you were almost devoured by the ma'am. Is that right, dragon? It was terrible. He breathed fire on me. He banged me already. How can I be sure of that, ma'am? Believe me, I got it straight from the dragon's mouth. <laughs> 11.45 p.m., I rode over the King's Highway. I saw a man. Stopped to talk to him. Pardon me, sir. Could I talk to you for just a minute, sir? Sure, I don't mind. What do you do for a living? I'm a knave. Didn't they pick you up on a 903 last year for stealing tarts? Yeah. So what, do you want to make a federal case out of it? No, sir. We heard there was a dragon operating in this neighborhood. We just want to know if you've seen him. Sure, I've seen him. Mm-hmm. Could you describe him for me? What's to describe? You see one dragon, you've seen them all. Would you try and remember, sir, just for the record? We just want to get the facts, sir. Well, he was, you know, he had orange polka dots. Yes, sir. Purple feet, breathing fire and smoke. Mm-hmm. And one big bloodshot eye right in the middle of his forehead and, uh, like that. Notice anything unusual about him? No, he's just a run-the-mill dragon, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, you can go now. Hey, by the way, how are you going to catch him? I thought you'd never ask. A dragon net. 
3.05 p.m. I was riding back into the courtyard to make my report to the lab. Then it happened. It was a dragon. Hey, I'm the fire-breathing dragon. You must be St. George, right? Yes, sir. I see you got one of them new 45 caliber swords. That's about the size of it. <laughs> you slay me. That's what I wanted to talk to you about. What do you mean? I'm taking it in a 502. You figure it out. What's the charge? Devouring maidens out of season. Out of season? You never pinned that rap on me. Do you hear me, cop? Yeah, I hear you. I got you in a 412, too. A 412? What's a 412? Overacting. Let's go. On September the 5th, the dragon was tried and convicted. His fire was put out and his maiden devouring license revoked. Maiden devouring out of season is punishable by a term of not less than 50 or more than 300 years. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we really have a surprise for you. For our feature attraction tonight, we're going to do our version of that thrilling radio mystery series, The Whistler. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who are you? I am the Whistler. I walk by night. I influence the lives of innocent people. And sometimes I even drive them to murder. Well, I'm certainly glad you dropped in because tonight you can help me with the uh, sketch we're going to do. Jack? Jack, who are you talking to? That man, that man right there. What man? I don't see anybody. The man right there who was whistling. Whistling? I didn't hear anybody, Jack. Are you kids crazy? I'm telling you, there was a man standing right there. Dennis, you saw him, didn't you? Yeah, he was a kind of a mysterious-looking fellow with a brown suit and a scowl on his face. That's right, that's right. And what was he whistling? Dear hearts and gentle people. <laughs> he was not! <laughs> it, was, it was the Whistler's theme song. Jack, what's the matter with you? You didn't see anybody, and neither did Dennis. Well, I thought I did. Maybe it's because I got my mind all wrapped up in the play we're going to do. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we now offer you our version of that blood-curdling, thrilling radio murder mystery, The Whistler. This is a wonderful breakfast. I'm sure glad I'm married to you. So am I, Griffith. Where are the children? We have no children. <laughs> oh, then who is it that's always bringing me my slippers? Our cocker spaniel. Oh, it's funny I've wasted to have his teeth straightened. <laughs> I have a surprise for you. My mother's coming to live with us. Oh, bully, that's wonderful. <laughs> See, they're happy. But I'll change that. Gwendolyn, when is your dear darling mother coming? Tomorrow. Oh, I'm glad you told me in time. Now I can buy her a present. I wonder what I should give her. Why don't you give her a hit on the head? <laughs> no, Gwen, your father gave her that last year. 
What did you say, dear? I just answered your question. But I didn't say anything. Oh, I thought you did. You see, I have them confused already. <laughs> well, I better finish my breakfast. Yes, here's a great big bowl of cereal. Wait, I'll pour the cream on it for you. You can take your fingers out of your ears now. They've stopped crackling. <laughs> now, eat your cereal. Gee, that was a stubborn little one, wasn't it? <laughs> it, it certainly was, darling. Darling, darling, come on, come on, slugger with something. I've got other holes to break up. Uh, what did you say, Griffith? Oh, I didn't say anything. My mouth was full of the breakfast of champions. <laughs> well, I'd better finish my breakfast and hurry to the office. Yes, Griffith. Hurry to your office. While your wife, Gwen, waits at home for her sweetheart, the milkman. She... She adores him. <laughs> Coming up the walk now. Won't you come with me to Alabama and let's go see my dear old mammy? That song drives me nuts. All right, knock on the door. She's waiting for you. Hello, baby. Hello, Clyde. I've been waiting for you. In. Well, wait a minute. i got to get rid of this milk. Why don't you drink it? Who, me? <laughs> Go ahead, Clyde. Drink it. It'll be good for that pool table complexion. <laughs> With those side pockets under your eyes. Come here, baby. Pucker up. Give me a kiss. Why, sure, Clyde. Lay one on <laughs> really thrilled you, eh, baby? No, you're holding that cold milk bottle on my back. <laughs> oh, Clyde, you're so wonderful. Kiss me again. You see? She's crazy about Clyde. Everybody's crazy about Clyde. But I'm the one they invited to Washington. <laughs> Gee, Glenn... I wonder what your husband would say if he caught you kissing me, his best friend. Well, I'd tell him you're congratulating me on my birthday. But you've told him that 28 times this year. <laughs> Ain't he getting wise? No, but he's getting mad buying me all those presents. <laughs> Gee, Clyde, you and I could be so happy together if it weren't for my husband. And now it's evening. The office is closed, and Griffin, the unsuspecting husband, is walking home without a care on his mind. Gee, it'll be nice to get home to my loving wife, Gwendolyn. I feel sorry for her. She's alone all day. Are you sure she's alone? Of course I'm sure. About twice a week, our best friend Clyde drops in, but that's only on her birthday. <laughs> Don't be a fool. Your wife is in love with Clyde. Hurry home. You'll find them together. All right, I'll go home and see for myself. Gee, I better be prepared. Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! You see what I mean? Here are three innocent people, and I have planted the seed of suspicion, which will soon grow into murder. Ain't I a stinker? <laughs> Pardon me. Come in. Mr. Benny? Yes? I'm from TWA. Here's a sandwich and keep your big mouth shut. <laughs> Thank you. And now to get back to our story. Clyde is hiding in the closet. And Griffith is about to enter the house. Darling, you're home early. Yes, Gwendolyn. Stop talking. Ask her about Clyde. Go on, ask her. Huh? Ask her about Clyde. Darling, was Joe here? Not 
Joe. That was yesterday. It's Clyde today. Now, come on, Will. Come on, you gotta get murdered. And hurry up or we'll be in the middle of Amos and Andy. Go on, go on, open that closet door. No, no, I don't want to, I'm afraid. Come on, come on, don't be a coward. Open that closet door. No, no. Go on, put your hand on that knob. That's it. Now turn it. Good. Now open the door. Folks, come with me to Alabama. There we'll meet my dear old mammy. She's frying ass. Ooh. Griffith, Griffith, you shot him. No, Gwen, I didn't shoot him. Well, somebody did. I wonder who. <laughs> Thank you. That was The Sunshine Boys from the Martin and Lewis Show, George and the Dragonette from Stan Freeberg, and The Fiddler from the Jack Benny Program here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that is a special uh, podcast because we hit a Patreon number, and so for the first time in 165 episodes of this podcast, we did some comedy. Uh, but tied it all in, not us doing comedy. We're hilarious. Finally. Finally, we found something funny to do. That is the first time the selection was uh, from comedy tied in nicely to old-time radio thriller horror uh, genres. So it was really, really odd for me to sit and listen to these for a couple reasons. One, when I'm listening for our podcast, I get into a groove of horror <laughs> or mm-hmm. suspense. So it's jarring in the middle of the afternoon you spend preparing for this podcast because we tape about five, six, seven of them <laughs> in a row on one night. So I was like, oh, this comedy's really throwing me. Plus, I, uh, here we go, I don't like old time radio comedies. I don't think comedy stands the test of time in a lot of cases. This is really strange to me because of your taste in visual comedy is mm-hmm. much older than yes. some of the stuff we've listened to Correct. tonight. So I'm wondering if it's because what drew you to old time radio were the spooky mm-hmm. thriller stories and mm-hmm. so you just don't associate it with comedy or you really think comedy without visuals falls flat. I think that the comedy without the visuals, especially in a lot of cases in these three, falls flat. I think that Jerry Lewis, and it, we said it in the opening, uh, Jerry Lewis, without seeing his double take or his look on his face, it's not an easy sell for a joke. That's a face joke. Dean Martin uh, is a very funny man. One of my, As you guys know, and the listeners probably don't, I'm a huge Dean Martin fan. Like, I love Dean Martin a lot. And I think he's really funny point is, though, you don't see what makes him funny in this either, which is the wry look at Jerry. There's a lot of things that get lost. I don't know that's necessarily a comedy of the time, but you can certainly hear in in the Martin and Lewis at the top there, they're doing bits that are getting mm-hmm. laughs mm-hmm. that are not being conveyed to the listening audience, nope. which I don't know that's a matter of the time or just those guys, they can't stop doing these bits. Right. I'm going to make a big argument here that this is exactly like dramatic old-time radio, as in the listeners are getting the sound cues Mm -hmm. to fill in with their imagination. And it makes me laugh when they clearly are mugging and the studio audience is dying over something we clearly didn't hear, but because I know Martin and Lewis, because I know Jack Benny, and people at the time knew them too visually, they're filling in, just like the sound of a door slowly creaking open. They're imagining it. So they're imagining the looks between... Lewis and Martin, and imagining the stupid face that Jerry Lewis is making. That was not the experience I had. I didn't fill in those moments. I was like, oh, something happened. Yeah, that's what I did too. (laughs) But you did just just explain how it was possible for the Charlie McCarthy hour to succeed. (laughs) (laughs) Why that was the most popular radio show ever, because that is beyond me. How would you sit down and listen to that? But now you're telling me if you fill it in and you see the dummy's wooden mouth moving, it's hilarious. 
I guess. I'm with Tim, though. I just went, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Plus, the other problem with old comedy is the current uh, pop culture references that you have to either know or if you don't, you're, it's kind of going over your head. That's a problem even visually, you know, if you don't get it. But when we talk about stuff that I love... The Marx Brothers stands the test of time. They're full of references of the day. They really are. Yeah, but a lot of it isn't, too. You're still a mystery to me, Eric. It's all I'm saying. (laughs) That's good. Clarify my own vote on, like, is this actually funny right now? I I could, well, maybe I'm projecting, but feel in this first Martin Lewis piece, the conflict between how funny those two are and how, what's the word for the script is just kind of by the numbers of, like, Mm -hmm. Predictable gags. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason I chose Martin and Lewis is because I've heard a lot of Peter Lorre on other comedy shows. And to me, this is hands down Lorre's funniest stuff. He is hilarious. He steals the show in this, and that's why I chose it. His first line, it's barely even a joke when he just goes, well, well, well. And the (laughs) studio audience goes nuts. Too young, man. (laughs) And he is. Oh, the young ones. Yeah, the young ones. Yeah. And it, it is. Gorgeous, and he is just on throughout this it's entire joke script. of the uh, idea that he says, "Oh, they're young ones." That oh, he's an actual monster that likes to eat people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Plus, I think they're also playing <laughs> a lot of sexual subtext in, ah. in all this era of humor, and definitely between Martin and Lewis, you've seen their movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely think Laurie was. I mean, he just sits there and goes, "Hmm." <laughs> 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 Twice, while the audience goes nuts, <laughs> right? <laughs> to be fair, in my mind, in that moment, I'm assuming what there is is Peter Lorre's been standing there for half an hour, and they flash the applause <laughs> sign, so the audience goes nuts because he didn't just walk on stage, <laughs> right? I don't know that you laugh that hard on command. What you paying? <laughs> <laughs> Which is not to say that Peter Lorre was not hilarious, yeah. because he was hilarious. I think that was really interesting that they did the whole thing about we need a sponsor and the idea that the horror or the suspense and all of that kind of genre of radio was much more popular than what they were doing. And why not just call out the elephant in the room and say, hey, our show's not doing well. What we need is Peter Laurie to maybe <laughs> mm-hmm. get a sponsorship. Oh, yeah. And the line about uh, your show being that mysterious and like, wow, you just reached through the radio and slapped me in the face. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <Right. laughs> and uh, it has a couple great examples of the kind of jokes I like about old-time radio. I do enjoy the old rickety vaudeville jokes or the jokes where you go so far to get to the punchline that you you laugh out of admiration, not because it's funny. It's the, um, I won't mix, master. That's oh. the one that made me laugh so hard, not because it's funny, but it's like, had... you went all the way around to make a joke about a blender just by (laughs) and I didn't laugh because I went why are they laughing and because I know how comedy is built I went I recognize that as a punchline there's a (laughs) punchline so I looked up Mixmaster and found out oh that's a really popular blender that started in the 30s and and I went oh it's the combination of those two words but again you know I don't know how the kitchen works I don't know what's in there (laughs) I think another great example of working really hard to get to a joke is it's a really funny punchline that is dead by the time they get to it, and that is bathtub flavored Drano. Oh it, yeah, it's this that this that. That's I drink a ca- Drano, no, that's a it. case of Jerry Lewis wanting in on the joke that was already done and got a laugh, right. and they just pushed it too far. The first joke is funny, like I only drink arsenic when I can't get Drano done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long way to go to get to bathtub flavor, but bathtub flavor. It's a funny uh, punchline. For a lot of reasons, not the least of which is bathtub flavor is a funny sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what I call most of that homebrew beer. (laughs) We got plenty of things to fight about in the podcast. We don't need to fight about beer, too. (laughs) Last thing I'm going to say about Martin and Lewis, well, not in life, I'll have a lot more to say about Martin Lewis. The last thing I'm going to say on the podcast is they have one example of a joke that is a distinctly radio joke. When they make you imagine something and then slap it out of your head with a different image. In this right. case, it's the crazy decoder ring Jerry yes. Lowe describes. Yes. And it's funny because he describes it with too many adjectives and then says, will you help, help me, me lift it out of the box? And right. then suddenly your image is crushed by this giant <laughs> ring image. Right. And that's a uniquely 
radio joke. Yep. <laughs> I resented that joke. Not, uh, that audience reaction is out of proportion with how funny that joke is. <laughs> it's oh, pretty funny. You know, ladies and gentlemen, as a comedian, there's always an audience policeman <laughs> who is angered by other people's enjoyment, and I'm that's Tim. Always available to police your audience laughters. Again, I think uh, that the marketing promotion giveaway thing that was much more prevalent sure, uh, yes. back then makes that funnier. You know, it, like, it was a fresh joke in yeah, and the idea that whatever. how many different styles of rings can you give away mm-hmm. and he put all the different styles under one ring and again I think you're right the payoff of help me lift it out of the bag deserved a bigger laugh than that and Tim was, was saying the, the opposite the, before oh. the lift out of the box just the actual reaction to all oh. the listing of all the Correct. aspects of it like nah no. not that funny No, no not, it's it funny was... <laughs> not that funny <laughs> you know it's not the button of a fraternity pin button <laughs> See, that made me laugh. Did it really? Not like, a, oh, that's a funny joke. It was like, that's that's the end? Right, exactly. <laughs> that's it? Yeah, they, they got the wrap-up sign. Uh, fraternity pen, moving on. and Because we got to get to this sploop thing. <laughs> a breakfast cereal was really new then, because oh, yeah, well, we, in both the Fiddler and the Martin Lewis, we have breakfast cereal uh, jokes. And the hilarity of how loud it is. <laughs> and apparently, used to be uh, you put cream on your cereal. Yeah. God, can you imagine? Yeah. Straight cream? Wow, no. I can't. I, I'll give you guys 10 bucks each to eat a bowl of cereal with cream on it. Uh, you just lost 10 bucks from Tim. <laughs> Tim. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't see it, but Tim's already eaten half a bowl of cream. <laughs> just lapping it up. With whipped cream, man. I'd do that. <laughs> whipped cream. All right, so George and the Dragonette is a little... Oh, I wanted to say this thing. going back. The best oh. part of the first part of the Dean Martin Jerry, is Dean's song. That was gorgeous. I, I almost cut it. <laughs> <laughs> you almost cut it? I did. And I even went, Eric's going to want to keep it in. <laughs> I love Dean Martin. That yeah, was what just saved leave it for the first me. half. It's like, Dean, stop. <laughs> we don't have time. No, I like the whole package he tended to sing the more syrupy stuff that mm-hmm. i don't like on the radio uh, show i don't understand the sentence dean sang something you didn't like <laughs> the, there isn't a bad dean martin song so well, move on I, that's debatable even no nope, nope, drop nope. dead song and you're still <laughs> that was pretty damn good <laughs> till jerry started singing all right george and the dragonette <laughs> Oh, you mean that joke that's over after you say George and the Dragonette? <laughs> uh, we're going to argue about this. I think this is a delightful three-minute piece of comedy. I admired its ability to survive beyond its initial pun. I will agree with you 100%. It is a pun, and somehow they turn it into eight minutes. It's I admire that. three minutes long. What is that what it was? Three minutes long. It seemed longer. <laughs> you, you guys are hard. You're off my list for the comedy podcast co-host I was looking for. Wow. No, I'm going to do it. I'll just be the cranky I, I, guy. I apologize for damning with faint praise, but but I admired the uh, the delivery of the Dragonette pun. Like, that's how you survive a pun. <laughs> I think Freeberg's Joe Friday, though, is really brilliant. It's yep. frighteningly dead on. The guy in it, according to our intro, it wasn't Jerry Lewis? No, it's Dawes Butler doing oh, a my. Jerry Lewis-esque. Thank you. It, at least it was it was a Jerry Lewis impression. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, because... I'm the knave. <laughs> All right. Very Jerry. Well, it was a really good Jerry Lewis impression, because I thought it was him. Only the needle should be changed to protect the record is is a funny joke. <laughs> Everything's funnier delivered in that deadpan as if it's not expecting a laugh, and so I want to laugh at it. I think that's the trap of these dragnet things. It's like, go ahead. You don't need to laugh. No. I'm Joe Friday. This kind of humor ranks up there with me with parody songs, uh, Weird Al Yankovic well, stuff. Uh, Oh, step off a weird Yankovic <laughs> buddy. Just rewriting some. What? Just rewriting. Oh. oh, boy. Wow. I'm sorry, listeners. You may want to step away. This could take a while. <laughs> you are so wrong. I'm going like to write a parody song. You two talk. In about 40 seconds here, I'll have a parody song for you. You won't have a Weird Al parody song. You really oh, won't. I'll have it down. It is not that easy. Have you ever tried to write a parody song? Yes. Okay. I've written many. Okay. Uh, so we're going to put it on Patreon, one of your parody songs for everyone to listen to and judge uh, whether little, it's as funny as my Weird little, Al. 
Uh, the show that uh, I can't remember the name of the show that we wrote where I did the uh, little drummer boy and changed it from Barumpa Bum Bum to Barack Obama. Barack Obama, Barack Obama. Uh, see, not funny. <laughs> Uh, you were mad. <laughs> because we're not ready to make jokes yet, Eric. We're still angry. <laughs> Talk to us again in three podcasts. All right. Maybe I wrote we'll be a ready. letter to the DJ who pushed the play button on Dr. Demento in my hometown. <laughs> Dr. Demento. Well, it makes it? a lot of sense because Stan Freeberg did a lot of parody records. So it yes. makes sense that you would find him um, on well, that. Plus, note. I'm also jaded by old Stan Freeberg. We've talked about it on this podcast before. Old Stan Freeberg. <laughs> when he was doing, when radio was, I'm Stan Freeberg. And I couldn't listen to when radio was. It was, what, the 80s and 90s when that show was out? I can't remember. I've but never heard that show. It was a syndicated show, but he was older and uh, that made me crazy. So Eric hates Stan Freeberg for being funny and getting old. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I heard. <laughs> Uh, no. I All right, let's move on to the George. Jack Benny. Yeah. The Fiddler. Yeah. I'm going to go on a limb here and say you guys hated that too. <laughs> I think it was this the one funniest of the three. Suffered the most. Like, that's a reference I don't understand. Well, but he my, moved so quickly. Like, got that, got that, didn't get that, got that. Yeah. My bad here, I didn't realize it until I was re listening to it on my way over to record this, that there are a couple callbacks from the other parts yeah. of the show, which. Yeah, yeah. Benny did a lot, and so there's a reference to the Good. airline bringing him a sandwich that's from a earlier gag, and the stuff about going to Washington is from his opening oh, monologue. Thank you, thank you. And because so I, I apologize for excerpting it in a way that left I that inexplicable to feel folks. like I owe an apology for not having listened to enough Jack Benny because it's about time to. I him. ought. I was going to ask for an apology, but it's better that it came naturally. I'm still waiting for one from Eric. <laughs> I'm really sorry about Weird Al Yankovic. I love him. And I love Doctor Who. <laughs> and I love Star Wars. Tim and I had a falling out with Star Wars, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Listeners are getting to learn a lot about us. Those who've actually listened to this episode, I'm sure half of people will skip no. over it. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, I think that, again, instead of a whistle, uh, there's a guy playing a violin. Instead of a whistle, he's a fiddler. So that's that's pretty funny, I guess. You and I and Tim have performed far thinner sketches than this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little hard to see everyone get on their high horse. It's a good point. I also, again, think it's about visual. I really do. I think that... This I one is not at all. It's a... Sp- Boof of an old-time radio show. But Jack Benny makes Eric me laugh. Eric was just shaking his head back and forth. <laughs> Jack Benny makes me laugh by just looking at him. Do you know what I'm saying? That his delivery is is from the body and the face. That's mostly what makes that work. It's not about powerful uh, wordplay or anything like that. It's him. I, I I can get the the powerful comedy engine that is Jack Benny. He's got that under the hood, even on the radio. But I will watch the Jack Benny television show and laugh really hard. And Martin and Lewis. And and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't watch the Stan Freeberg show? No, I didn't watch that. I don't know much about Stan Freeberg other than, I'm Stan Freeberg. <laughs> as someone who listens to a lot of mysterious old radio material, yes. uh, maybe you guys have as well, I, <laughs> I really loved hearing a specific spoof of a specific radio show from the era in which it was made. And I found that really enjoyable because it's a great premise. It's a frustrated version of the Whistler who's taunting someone into murder and they just won't do it. Right. And so I think it has a strong premise. I think it has some really strong jokes. The sun is coming through the window with the smash. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. That is gold. And nothing can stop that California sun. That is a, and again, a quintessential radio joke. Right. And the I, ongoing birthday gag of that. All right. You got me. I like it. <laughs> You're not letting that die. <laughs> no. I think uh, the Jack Benny show demonstrates. A lot of great joke escalation. Like we talked about in Martin and Lewis where it's like, okay, your joke was done and you kept going. Whereas I think this sketch has a couple great examples of flawless escalation uh, when he says, where are the children? Uh, We have no children. (laughs) 
that's a joke. But then, then who's been bringing my slippers all these years? Our Cocker Spaniel. That's a funnier joke, and yeah. it still works, to think of all that money I wasted on having his teeth straightened. And it <laughs> ends with a third joke. That's the funniest of the jokes. Like, that's, from a comedy writing point of view, that's a gem. I do like and that And there joke. are str- I did laugh. strings of those throughout here. Yeah. Like I said, Jack Benny, I find hilarious, and I love him, and this was the funniest of the three for sure. But I will go back to that I think it's an intentional part of radio at the time, whether or not we may struggle to imagine it, that the live physical things Mm -hmm. going on and the studio audience reacting to that, even though you don't see it, was part of the radio listener's enjoyment of the comedy. There's a whole sequence here with the kiss, where the laughs just go on and on and on, Mm -hmm. and you know something really funny is happening and to me that laughter becomes contagious as i fill it in and then there's a button at the end with the cold milk bottle that he's holding against her back during that kiss what i filled it in with is just totally totally raunchy awful (laughs) yeah (laughs) like ah they were just rolling on the floor (laughs) (laughs) eating a sandwich is that what they were doing See, you got to work on that comedy, Foley. I just <laughs> felt really bad for your wife, Wendy. <laughs> Is that how? Okay, never mind. That's how I eat sandwiches. Yeah, I love this era of comedy a lot. As you know, we all three of us have studied it, applied it. We know it. Uh, and as I said at the top of this, I don't listen to a lot of old-time radio comedy because it just doesn't work for me. And I think it has to do with me having to see it visually comedy. But I do think Joshua makes a great point, and I believe him 100% that he's accurate, that the audience is more apt and more trained to picture these people and what they were doing and fill in those blanks, making it more successful. There was an interesting moment where the audience laughter responding to something I didn't get made me go back and get the joke. When the milkman shows up and her voice just does a 180 degree turn and she goes from housewife to sultry vixen. <laughs> yes. Uh, it just didn't register to me. Like, That's the same character with a completely different voice. Yes. And you're right. right. The audience looking at it would realize it's the same. Right. Yeah. Actress. But I didn't pick yeah. up on it. I put this in order of how funny I thought each of them were. So I did start with Martin and Lewis, then go to Stan Freeberg, and then mm-hmm. end on The Fiddler, which I do think is the best of I the agree three. agree with that assessment. Yeah. Maybe Weird Al just after Jack Benny, maybe before Jack Benny? That's, that's a tough call. For some of us. <laughs> you know what that Dragonette thing falls into the category of? I think I said this a few weeks ago on the podcast. For some odd reason, YouTube decided that I should be watching the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. And I hadn't watched it in many years. So it popped up on YouTube. And I watched for like three weeks every night, two or three episodes, before I finally went, ah. This isn't standing the test of time for me anymore. This really funny show that... Don't say that. (laughs) My little heart. (laughs) Guys, you are hearing us break up as a trio on this podcast. There are tears running down Tim and I's There's some funny moments, but that's the same kind of humor. Would you agree? George and the Dragonette kind of falls into that fractured fairy tale kind Mm -hmm. of uh, style of... Oh, for sure. Quick-paced puns. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I've just become cranky and mad. Stop. No, don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) I also really admire the level of energy required for radio comedy. Yeah. And in all three of these, even when you don't think the jokes are that successful, these are comedians turned up to 10. To me, this radio comedy is closer to the live kind of comedy energy-wise that I like to perform and it's like and like being in the chorus in a musical. You're just like I can't do it on radio. <laughs> but you know, you just everything is just gigantic. Gigantic mm-hmm. characters and gigantic movement and gigantic faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Everything is moving really fast and huge. I can hear them making faces. It's weird. <laughs> and it seems a little like something out of a horror movie. <laughs> I can hear them making faces. <laughs> That's what I think every time we post one of these podcasts, except I hear the eye rolling and the (laughs) shaking of the head. Speaking of eye roll and head shaking, we promise not to do more comedy on the podcast. (laughs) But I think this was a fun uh, try it out, at least for me alone here sitting by my microphone. 
I enjoyed it. <laughs> I did too. I enjoyed that discussion a lot. I liked watching you guys get really mad at me. So it was really fun. <laughs> well, in lieu of a vote, I will say that I, I agree with you that comedy doesn't stand the test of time in radio form as much as mm-hmm. drama. I do think that's true. Yes. But as much does not mean that it does not, I guess it would be right. my vote. There are some universal things about comedy. There are, there are things where sometimes a magical comic performer can just make a funny voice, and that voice was funny in 1940, and it's funny in 2020. Like, Jerry Lewis's voice, to me, is just funny, even right. when the jokes bomb. As long as you don't picture what he became. <laughs> Again, Eric hates people who get old. <laughs> and cranky. I hate me. <laughs> So this is just all a reflection of your own self-loathing? I, let's go with that. All right. Because <laughs> then you'll like me again. <laughs> Whatever I can do to repair the damage I've done today. Uh, we'll probably work it out to the next couple podcasts, but it'll be okay. I've already forgotten. <laughs> mm, sandwich. <laughs> uh, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You will find other episodes there, none of which have anything to do with comedy. <laughs> Um, as well as it links to our social media. If you want to comment on episodes or on media or however you want to let us know what you think about comedy on radio or Weird Al, we'll tolerate so many opinions. I'm going to get hammered on that. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, that's, uh, that's all I got for that. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com and support this podcast. Or if you really hated this episode, you can remove your support. <laughs> <laughs> it's America. You can do whatever you want. But uh, if you do decide to support us, we really appreciate it. Uh, you can also go to iTunes and write a review. We just appreciate interaction with you guys. See, instead of beat it, uh, he took a word that rhymed with it, eat and then he's eating it, and then it's all about eating things. I'm going to cut that out of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We also perform live shows. We do live radio recreations of old-time radio. We also do original radio shows on stage. If you'd like to come see us perform live, the four of us, there's three here, and then uh, Miss Shannon Custer. We are... There's a fourth silent one. (laughs) We just make Shannon sit here. I'm the whole time. It's hilarious. You should see it. (laughs) She just nods and agrees with me. Uh... (laughs) No. Uh, so uh, go to Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society.com and you can find our list of shows, which currently, right now, we uh, in 2020, uh, we are at Park Square Theater in St. Paul. What's coming up next? Next, we have another Patreon reward. And this time, we are doing a two part podcast where we are going to be listening to the very first episode of Suspense, The Lodger. And then the following week, we will be listening to the very last episode of Suspense. Devilstone. Until then, look out! Mm, sandwich. Just eat it. Just eat it. Just eat it.